0: Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome, listeners. I am connecting across the globe with great, after great effort and a couple false starts. We have the Pacific Coast of America connecting with Hong Kong and my special guest, so excited to have Stefano Passarello on the podcast. How you doing, Stefano?
1: I happy to be there here. Actually, very well, thank you. Um,
0: so here's how you get on the the Primal Endurance podcast. You write an email that is so incredible and almost hard to believe that I'm like, wait a second. Uh, it's an amazing story, and uh, I think you should tell a lot of it yourself, but. Um, I'm looking at uh, this guy who's the CEO of an accounting firm with a very high-powered career there in Hong Kong, uh, racing in a recreational amateur level at these long-distance triathlons and performing with the very top level of amateurs in the world, and not only that, uh, challenging the pros. So in Kona, if they, uh, the triathlon listener... Everyone knows what that means, but that's the Hawaii Ironman World Championship Triathlon at the Ironman distance of 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and the 26.2-mile run held in Kailua Kona, Hawaii. You ran a 2.53. It's the third fastest time in the history of the Ironman run by an age grouper and right up there with the very top professionals in the world. That's 2.53 off the bike after uh, swimming and then biking in the heat and then in in very poor conditions compared to a real marathon you're putting up a time which most people would you know uh would be would be uh, ecstatic to run in a, in a straight marathon so um the other good part of the story for us is that you're writing to indicate that you're following the uh the primal endurance style uh, uh aerobic heart rate very comfortably paced heart rate training at over distance and also deep into the uh the low carb keto approach so Let's get into some details, uh, especially how you can manage all this as a busy guy with a real career
1: uh, yeah uh, it's actually been interesting, and uh, I need to thank you because uh frankly speaking, your podcast has inspired me a lot i mean uh, um, I'm not just trying to to please you but uh, frankly uh, I found a lot of inspiration in uh, in uh, in all all the articles and everything I read and listened about you guys and uh, It kind of like um, it was like sort of a a companion in a lonely journey because uh, we we think that there are many people following these methods, but actually they are not. We are a minority. I mean, just go to Kona and see like see the expo, see what they're selling, (laughs) and then you tell me if they are all in a low-carb environment. So that's the thing. We are lonely. And be together makes us stronger. So that that's the first thing. So thank you, thank you very much because you've been supported. Plus, since I do a lot of training, because my 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 training is based on volume uh, rather than intensity, uh, another companion is my long rides on the bike or my runs are uh, with you, <laughs> uh, always in my ears, listen to podcasts. But Anyway, uh, going straight to the thing. Um, yeah it' been has been has been interesting. It started i would say last year in march um a little bit earlier i i i was injured deeply in my achilles, both achilles i'm a runner, so my background is running. Uh, I'm a decent runner i ran a few uh marathons sub two twenty six sub, sub 230 i got to a um two twenty six as as a, as a as a best time. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, um, and that's it. But I kept getting, uh, injured over and over again. Uh, so I started, I picked up triathlon because triathlon could give me a little bit of re- relief in terms of, uh, alternating, um, biking and, uh, and swimming. So I just started and, um, and it was nice. It was pleasant. I did my first uh triathlon race, October last year, first uh, of October 2016 in Sicily. Uh, my father is from there. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, originally Italian, and um, yeah, and uh, and it was great. I loved it. And then I progressed. And the uh, first year, I, I I tried to do a, a a half Ironman. I did it, and I and I qualified for uh, for for Chattanooga, the World Championship of uh, 70.3. And uh, and then I said, oh, man, but I can qualify for Kona. I mean, I I, I can do it because I I did a pretty decent time and I went for uh, another 70.3 in China that qualifies for Kona. And I did qualify for Kona. And uh, and it was amazing. But uh, the method that I used is not a method that I particularly engineered. I mean, I I didn't study, honestly how to do this. This is how I've been doing it for years. So basically it would be like training on a fastest state. I wake up in the morning, I drink a coffee and I go out for a long ride or a long run. And uh, it would be like over two hours. Usually I do a lot of volume and very low intensity and, um, and that's it. And maybe on, on a Saturday, on a Sunday, I just go very long, but I'm not, Eating pretty much anything, and then um, you know I wanted to trim a little bit of weight because again for my running, uh, uh, stopping running and, and cycling only, you don't burn the same amount of calories. So I said, okay, I'll I'll cut carbs. So I was cutting carbs. I was r- riding more, and uh, and then I ended up that in March I I tried to do a marathon without any carbohydrates so i just drank water and i did my first my my best time in the last 5 years <laughs> with a reduced amount of training in running only with cycling all right when i talk about uh, cycling volumes i'm talking about around uh, i would say from 16 to 20 hours per week so it's quite a lot right um and that's it. And that's how it, 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 it went. And, uh, and, uh, and then that I had a, a realization. I had a sort of a, a epiphany, like how do you say, a ha-ha moment when a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, we were riding together and I was telling what I did and blah, blah, blah. And he said, hey, dude, I mean, you, have you heard of this uh, Primal Blueprint or Primal Podcast? I mean, the, the Primal Endurance Method or even Marathon." And, uh, and I said, no, I never heard. And he said, I think you're reverse engineering Muffeton method. I said, what do you mean? And he sent me the link and exactly, exactly doing what I'm doing. I mean, not that he's copying me. <laughs> I was like, uh, in, in this belief, I was like, wow. So there is a science behind this method. And uh, I got extremely intrigued. And of course... After that, I started, I started going uh, hard on this and I started monitoring my performance. I started monitoring my HRV and, uh, and I tried to get a bit more scientific about this. So I'm keeping this method um, of a, of a low-carb um, diet with uh, never intense training unless I, I race. That's my intense training, I would say. Uh, maybe I can push a little bit more, just if I have a little bit of competition around, because I'm quite competitive. But like my 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 daily routine is waking up, going for a nice ride or a nice run or a hike. Uh, I swim usually at night, and I relax. I I I don't push hard. I just go long, and I never go beyond my 180. Uh, Minus age Minus 5 Or minus 10 even So I don't even get there Frankly speaking So And and that worked So It's all on Strava So I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not
0: lying. <laughs> you, you, you cannot, you look cannot this, lie. In look words. this guy up. There, <laughs> there's people pausing the recording right now, going over to Strava, going, "WTF? What is this guy talking about?" He's jogging and pedaling his bike slowly, and then setting PRs in the marathon with no carbs. It's that's why it's a great story. I think um, it's it's almost unbelievable for the average endurance athlete because we're so conditioned, uh, you know, culturally. To think that this is all about struggling and suffering and pushing the pace and joining a club where uh, they're doing interval training and and all these things. And so, um, you know, your credibility to perform at that high level and, and get off the bike in Hawaii and run 253. And there's so many uh, fit racehorses over there and you see them in town uh, the week before the race with veins popping out of their body all over the place and their, their tan lines going, oh, Brad, tan lines inside man, of tan don't lines. Don't tell me
1: this. I was getting so stressed. And this is another thing that, that it, that it <laughs> freaks me out. You know, I it was the first time for me in Kona clearly. Right. I mean, I'm a new guy to this game, man. They were running like the day before the race an alley drive and they were like, so feet, they were like their body. Were, I'm, I'm a skinny, hairy, short Italian guy. You know, I was seeing all these big, (laughs) huge dudes, you know, like, oh, man. And I was so intimidated. And usually I don't get intimidated because, you know, I have a big ego, though I'm small. But still, I mean, I'm like, oh, and my wife was there and I was like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'm (laughs) I'm weak. I don't do carbs. Uh, I don't know. And and actually, that kind of, like, tension built up – it was, it was a real challenge, and that's the challenge of try to stand strong with, uh, with your idea. I mean, uh, somebody in your podcast says, trust the system, right? I mean, you need to believe in th- that, that what you're doing is right. Because if you believe that what you're doing is right, you know when you will know that? At the 33K of the marathon, then you know that you are right when you stop passing everyone, and, you know, you are passing them either because they are puking, because they are fainting, or because they are stopping at the stop to have another gel. Just thinking that the gel will will, will drag them to the finish line. Seriously. You're passing.
0: You know what I mean, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're passing guys drinking Coke and, and slugging down gels. And I think, um you know, this is... An amazing story for your first year in triathlon to qualify for Kona because it's so competitive and people have been trying for, you know, a decade in the sport uh, never to make it there. And then on top of that, you know, we've been talking about these uh, concepts now for 30 years is when Mafitone kind of first surfaced and started to get popularity working with the top guys like Mike Pig and Mark Allen. And it's still very difficult to catch on the benefits of slowing down and taking care of your body and your nicely worded email where you're talking about the relaxed nature of your training uh, and, you know, basically what you've been doing is building up this amazing fat-burning machine. Uh, I want to point out that one thing you mentioned where you were cross-training and doing a lot of cycling and then running a PR in the marathon. And it's like, you know, the fat-burning machine is built uh, doing any cardiovascular activity. So uh, it's clear that the benefits of slowing down and, you know, getting away from that sugar-burning metabolic function that comes from overtraining and training at too elevated of a pace, when you slow down and become good at burning fat through diet and through proper training, um, you have these amazing performance breakthroughs. And I think you, you may not, the listener may not ever uh, have that chance to run 253 off the bike in Kona, but we're all trying to get the best of our genetic attributes and our circumstances that we have available for training. And, and this is an important point that Mathetone made too is that. Um, people want to speed up in training and push harder and do more volume because they 're getting beat by their peers or their competitive instinct is getting the better of them and i think it's it 's better to have that that self reference point like you talked about you and your wife sitting there going, "Are we on the wrong island you know these guys look like they 're in another league but um, when you you know when you when you calibrate off your own. Uh, energy levels and your own HRV, like you mentioned, you allow yourself to progress steadily and over time get to you know the point where you're you're doing the best you can and you're also protecting your health instead of destroying it
1: yeah yeah i, I, I now I agree with you now because I know the underlining concept because i'm I'm actually researching about this so i'm I'm, I'm very excited because i'm I'm in my research stage. Uh, before I was doing spontaneously, so I was I was being primal without knowing that. So I would I would try not to train if if you know another thing that is interesting. Uh, I want to make two points. One is mood, you know, like training according to mood. And uh, sometimes I'm in a bad mood because I mean when you train, it's not just about training. It's not about just about what you have done uh, yesterday, right? Uh, it's also about um how your life is going right
0: do 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 i make sense of course yeah i mean you're bringing all kinds of stress factors into your training decisions yeah
1: so if if tomorrow uh, if if last night i had a fight with my wife i don't know or, or i had a bad day at work it can happen you know or i needed to work late i'll probably don't train as hard for me that the north star is 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 volume all right i don't do i don't even have a power meter in my bike i i i i'm, I'm reluctant to buy a power meter um because I, i'm afraid that i would lose my uh, instinctive control on my senses so i don't have a power meter probably my bike was the only bike without a power meter in kona and <laughs> <It> was <laughs> a here's a funny one <laughs> so i i i just think that you know, we should try to listen to what what is going on, rather than looking at uh, what other people are doing. Um, although it's very hard because it's there is always a temptation to fall within uh, the, the, the 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 trap. So um, I would say, if you are in a good mood, if you're happy with your with with, with your I don't know, like if your mood is high, I would just go a little bit harder or a bit longer, right? If if I feel like, if I don't feel good, if I don't feel good, uh, that means that the whole system, it won't support me through the training. So I would just back off a little bit and and try to cope on a day that I feel better. So the North Star is mood and volume, I would say. So I'll try to get to a certain volume that I know that it would be beneficial for my, um general form but i will not compromise it with uh, um with uh with uh, with feelings so if i cannot get there i won't get frustrated i will just you know back off a little bit and 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 get there whenever whenever it's, it's better, right. right? Whenever I feel better.
0: That's funny. Here you are, uh, you know, your first, second year in the sport, figuring this stuff out. Andrew McNaughton's been on this podcast many times talking about how in his 30-year career in the sport, he's finally ascended to the highest level of training sophistication now in his, in, you know, after his pro career in racing in the amateurs, where he says, now I, my training uh, decisions are dictated by my moods. And it came from... You know years and years of having a predetermined uh expertly designed training schedule that had all the supposed attributes of success and um it simply doesn 't work very well for humans that have dynamic uh busy lives and so I think when you're when you 're in that position that you just described so nicely where your moods really do matter and your stress levels really do matter um, one one thing I also like to to put in there is like when I was training. I never wanted to uh, take caffeine or any stimulants because if I woke up and I was tired and groggy, I wanted to feel that to the full brunt of it so that my training decisions would be influenced accordingly because we can always like press on the gas pedal and use our competitive instinct to get our butts out of bed on a day when our throat's tickling or our head's a little heavy and just push and force things to happen. And when you do this in daily life, you know, over weeks, months, and years, what happens is you dig yourself into overtraining spiral rather than allow, you know, taking what your body can give you each day and nothing more. One of my favorite uh, insights that, you know, we have to sit here and be be peaceful and accepting of, uh, you know, where we're at right now with our fitness level and not try to force things or rush things or, or push things that aren't naturally meant to be. Yeah.
1: Um, you are touching something like, that I'm experiencing in the last few days uh, I'm researching a little bit about adrenal fatigue very interesting, actually, what you just said and um, as you speak i 'm sipping my decaf coffee for the exact same reason because you know after you do like such a such a race uh, and, and it 's your first time it's easy to get to to be to be a bit carried away right? So you want to do more. so I signed up immediately for another race in in Phuket. You know, I was ready to go. oh boy and I can't, and yeah. I cancel it this morning. and you know why? I mean I, I, I have a very a few good friends that witnessed this that they are on our same page for the exa- same reason because I was start feeling uh, the kind of need of the adrenaline boost. and gi- I, I'll give you another angle, okay, I'll give you my angle. You know why people sometimes push a lot? They do this heel repeats and they sprint and they go hard hard and blah, blah, blah. It's not just because of competition. It's because they get a shot of adrenaline. Big shot of adrenaline. I'll give you a real case example. Last weekend, I um, raced. The whole week, I was feeling like, "Mm, okay, not feeling too good, you know, Uh, probably having some, you know, some after. Uh, bites of Kona, and still feeling a little bit like ah, not not 100%. My mood was low. I trained not too much, but then I had two charity races that I need to attend. One as my sponsor race, um, and the other one as a charity race. So Saturday, in a very bad mood, I went and raced, and I did a very good race. Oh man. I, I felt like I was getting a shot of the most powerful drug. I was like, I'm alive again, you know. Then the day after, I raised again, and I was feeling even better, you know. So I think that I had a few weeks of stop because I wanted to recover. And then finally, I could get a taste of my favorite drug, all right? So that's when you understand the power of... The adrenaline of all the endorphins that you are getting, which everybody says is a good drug, is a good thing, but hey, boy, that's very dangerous. And when when you become dependent to it, um, that's another story. So it's not just the intensity, because people think that they are getting um, better in a shorter time. I do agree with you. Many people do it for, for this purpose, but at some, at some level. Uh, you become such a junkie that you need to achieve that kind of level. All right. So, and, and of course, when you are, when we are training a low intensity, unless you train for seven hours, you don't get that or you can reduce the kind of level. So, uh, the hype of the victories, sometimes, even if you're using Muffetone might trigger the kind of, uh, satisfaction that, Will bring you to one more, and then this is when we need to step back. I mean personally, this is an exercise that I'm doing, and as we speak, I'm in the process of tuning a little bit off this feeling of self gratification that I get from sport, which might alterate the vision of the world as a whole thing, and, and that can be and that can be dangerous for the family or for the work. So we need to stand on a, on a, on a, on a chair with three legs. So if one of those is, is falling off, everything else falls apart, right?
0: Oh, Mercy, you're, you're giving us some good quotes, Stefano. Uh, a taste of my favorite drug, and that is so true. And the endorphin high, which um, we detailed in the uh, the early chapter, the first chapter of the introduction of uh, primal endurance, where, you know, these are powerful uh, pain-killing drugs that are released upon the uh, conclusion of a hard effort. So when you get home from these vigorous workouts, or like you say, a seven-hour ride is going to fill you buzzed with uh, endorphins as well, just due to the length and the... Uh, you know, the, the the large physical effort, even if you're going slow. So when you do these uh, grand workouts, your body is literally flooded with pain-killing drugs. And the evolutionary rationale, by the way, is to uh, prevent you from lying down on the side of the trail and collapsing so the lion can eat you. It's to keep you going uh, beyond your normal capabilities and your normal perception of fatigue. And so I think these, um, you know, the endurance athlete community, Uh, truly does get addicted to that wonderful sensation of feeling uh, blissful, and in that pain relief state, with the uh, the drug effect uh, known and measured to be uh, the equivalent of the very powerful uh, opioids that are commonly abused and prescribed for uh, in the medical scene, and so it is something where you have to use your higher level of reasoning skills, your your accounting skills, your CEO skills, your your lawyer skills, or whatever your you know your your brain has been applied to in your life, and say, look, I just did. Uh, the Ironman in your case, in your story, and I'm feeling buzzed right now. I'm feeling great about my uh, my athletic uh, pursuits and I want more, more, more. And that has to be balanced with this sensibility where um, you th- you can say, I've had a long season. I've been going successfully and feeling great for months on end. It's time for a break just because we know that, you know, balance is important in life. And a lot of times what I found when I was racing uh, when when the season ended and, you know, the the jet engines ground to a halt after my last flight and my many thousands of miles traveling around the world, what I found was if I allowed myself to rest and allowed myself to take a break from the grind, I discovered that, you know what, I was pretty tired and needed you know, a month of extra sleep and just walking and jogging or not worrying about any exercise for, you know, days on end and just eating more food and watching more TV. But I think if we never uh, kind of embrace that that inner voice and that intuition, we can just uh, continue to drive ourselves in many cases right over a cliff. And I think listeners can go back and listen to uh, the shows I did with Debbie Potts, who's got a great podcast of her own, The Whole Athlete Podcast. And she was... uh and Iron Man Queen, just like you, at that same level of racing at the very top level and qualifying for Kona six times in her age group. And achieving uh, you know great victories on the amateur circuit, and then one day she just fell apart and it was a very abrupt and sudden uh, departure off the edge of a cliff of adrenal burnout and it 's taken her three or four years now to repair her health very carefully and arduously so this is no funny business, and um, it's it 's really nice that you point that out and how you 're injecting that that higher level reasoning into uh, the, the process of your career and choosing out of races, even though they sound fun, and you're going to go to a great resort and and pedal those pedals again, uh, it's tough on the body. It's it's a tough sport.
1: Yeah, it is, it is. And actually, the the whole combination of things might be might be dangerous. Like even my intermittent fasting. I'm I'm a very big fan of intermittent fasting. That's this is when I you know is like version 2.0 of myself. You know, first I did it I did it intuitively because it worked, I mean, because this is what I was right then i I realized that there was science behind this, and I started digging, in and then I started intermittent fasting, and uh, I tried to limit my meal to maybe maximum two uh, if i'm if if i'm fine I can do only I can do one meal only uh, and I know it sounds crazy because with endurance if you do only one meal is uh it's a little bit of a challenge. And this contributes as well to uh, adrenal uh, fatigue and imbalance, according to my readings and study. But it contributes to the mood as well, because somehow uh, when you fast, I don't know, probably you have, you have, I'm sure you have experienced that. <laughs> uh, when you fast, uh, you just feel, uh, uh, first you feel like a little bit weird, but then you start feeling lightheaded and you feel good right? You feel like you feel clean. So, uh, and that's another thing to balance because it might get addictive as well. So you can lose muscle mass and, and everything uh, like this. So it's important to also take a break. And as you said, get back your calories, um, just without any guilt. I see a lot of people having guilt for stopping and, um, and I do sometimes feel guilt as well for stopping, and I, I I I feel like well maybe I should go because everybody's going again. But then you know like listen to your body and say it's the right time to 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 go again with the flow and try to eat healthy. Uh, uh, eat healthy meaning like uh, with reduced amount of carbs, eat, eating uh, more maybe two three times a day. Just follow your family rhythm. Uh, rather than uh, like something that you self-construct, so it's it's actually it's actually the point I want to make that sometimes it's important to to let go, to let go completely, uh, and then start again because after you let go, it's hard to start again. So the real strength is letting go and then being able to jump again and then and then starting your training again because uh, um, at least it works. F- for me that if I do something repeatedly, one, two, three, four, five days, the six days is automatic, and I think it's normal. I mean, you rewire your brain if you don 't do it, then you 're reluctant to start again, so again, you need to really access the the ultimate uh, uh, like door of your brain of the rationality and saying, okay, now it 's time to do, now it 's not time to do by listening as well to. Uh, to your body and um and that 's interesting because at the end of the day, sport is not just sport is uh, you understand how sport is is also a metaphor of of balance and how you can balance the whole thing because if you cannot balance the whole thing at some point something's gonna happen and i and i and I love the speech of mark allen i don't know if if uh, any of the listeners were in 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 Connor this year at one of the dinners pre race he delivered an amazing speech and it was all about balance, all about accessing the inner place of your mind, of your of your soul, of your spirit to really find a way to listen to yourself, to feel calm, to feel in control, not to be scared, not to be worried, not to look around, but just look at yourself and analyze yourself, analyze what's good, what's bad, if you feel bad. If you feel good, if you feel good, push. If you feel bad, let go without any sense of guilt. And um, and 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 I loved it. And it was extremely inspiring. Honestly, the second best thing after my 253 marathon was the speech of Mark Allen. <laughs> I can tell you.
0: Oh, that's great. And I I I do appreciate Mark's message so much. And he's gone around and done. Uh, corporate speaking. Ever since the the '89 Ironman, where um, he had that great battle with Dave Scott, and he, he talks about these uh, spiritual elements to his training and his performance. And I think um, over time, you know, it went over the head a lot of, of a lot of these type A hard driving triathletes that are focused on you know how many miles the pros are putting in and how fast they're going. And he does really point out that that extra dimension to endurance training where, you know, you're bringing in uh, things like your, your moods and your intuitive sense of, of balance in life and those daily training decisions. And he did a beautiful job at that himself. I know uh, back in the day, like in Boulder with those very aggressive training groups, um, and he would, you know, be at the front beating people up in the water and on the running trails and on the bike rides. And then um, he was known to, uh, from time to time, just disappear for four days. <laughs> and everyone's, yeah. you know, still carrying on and making sure that they show up at 8 a.m. for the for the 20-mile uh, run on, on Saturday morning. And then, of course, Sunday's this and then back in the pool on Monday. And, uh, you know, he would go also go camping with the Weechal Indians that he still works with, the sport and spirit retreats with his, uh, his buddy Brant Secunda. But he would go camping. Uh, like in early August, he would take off and go out into the woods and not exercise for a week and do the various uh, spiritual practices right in the middle of uh, quote unquote critical Ironman build-up phase for the rest of the pro triathletes. But you know these kind of things where he just disengaged from the sport entirely and from life, and then came back with you know whatever it was a six week build-up until until Kona. You know, these were the things that were absolute magic for him, and I think if people opened up their their minds and were, were more accepting of things like uh, slowing down, which, you know, he was a big proponent of uh, monitoring that heart rate per the Maffetone guidelines, just like you relate, um, you know, the, great things can happen, but... Um, back to some points you made earlier and that addiction to the endorphins, I think we all uh, listening here, um, first of all, we need to turn it off from 1.5 speed down to 1.0 speed because something's going to come up that's really important and you have to ask yourself a really important question and that is like, what is your real purpose for doing the sport? And if it's just to diffuse energy in an indiscriminate manner... Um, You know, that's one thing because you have a stressful job or you're um, having trouble in in home life and you just want to get out there and blow some steam and and pound some watts on your bike. But if you want to, you know, improve yourself as a person and balance your life and pursue a goal in the proper and sensible manner, um, these are where things like slowing down or skipping workouts or skipping races are, are very important to consider. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And you talk about purpose, actually. You know, there is this paradigm of the selfish athlete. You know, like they call the the triathlon widow. Uh, like you, you go out as a man for many many hours. You know, it's like you gotta be very selfish, right, <laughs> to, to do the sport that we are doing. And um, I just started, so I don't I don't see yet the side effects. Um, but I I can suspect that some will come. So it's important to find the meaning. And I'm not saying like self-trick yourself to find the meaning. There are many people there trying to find a purpose just for just as a as a as a way to justify. I'm really meaning like find the meaning, and and I, I've been reasoning about this for for a long time. And and um, it's a, I mean, in my opinion, it's important that people in in our sport do. Uh, something to compensate what we are eating extra, right? Because frankly, we are eating more than normal people because we burn more. So why do we burn more? Because, Because we enjoy, because we enjoy the sport, right? So by eating more, actually, we are consuming more resources. I know it's a complicated theory, but listen to this. So my idea, my opinion is that every athlete that do really like burn a lot of calories. So it needs to reintegrate a lot. Uh, we, are, we need to have a social responsibility to create something that is oxygen generating. So I don't know, like something like planting trees. I mean, uh, I, I, I have a purpose like next year to start a little program uh, where um, I want to count the miles that I've done during the year and make uh, a little uh, algorithm uh, and plant a number of trees uh, in, in some land that I have, maybe in Sicily, right? Just because because I want to compensate, I want to give back, right? Or whenever you are going for an Ironman race or whatever, spend maybe one day to support the local community. At least we just uh, we just remember ourselves that we are not uh, like fat burning or carbs burning for the unlucky one that still do carbs. Uh, machines. We are not just machines. We are human, and uh, and uh, I want to really break. If I have a purpose, and you ask me about purpose, if I if I have a purpose is breaking this uh, selfish uh, athlete paradigm, because there is a paradigm of the Taipei selfish athlete that goes out and just. Uh, now it's going beyond control with all this selfie and Insta and everything. I mean, <laughs> it's it's becoming like this show off of the thing and just going back, going to the sport, doing something that it's great to do because it's because this is as has we evoluted as as a species, like competing. I mean, and, 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 and I mean, competition, it's it's innate in the human in the human mind and but also also supporting community so it's not just going there satisfying your personal uh like adrenaline release or your, your personal uh, endorphin or oxytocin or look at the endocrinology system and everything of that but being rational and also try to give back or to give instead of giving back like to support the local community where you are going to the race so I don't know whenever I go to Thailand again, I'll, I'll try to support the local community. There are so many nice races. I'm lucky that I'm in Hong Kong and I can go to Thailand for training or or racing or 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 stuff like this. and there are many people in need back in in, in Thailand, so it's not that they're not in in, in the u s but you know I can access easily this this part of the population so and and I think again i don't wanna, I don't want to access the selfish. Uh, part of, for example, gratitude, because many people use gratitude to make themselves feel better. But still, I think gratitude is, uh, it's an interesting component to hold this. It makes you feel better. Frankly, it relaxes you by being grateful and, and supporting community. It's, it's another like powerful weapon. I believe in, in performance. And it might be a long, it might, it might be a long shot, but I'm sure that science at some point will, uh, will, uh, will support what I'm saying because being grateful, being mindful at the end contribute to, to peak performance. I'm sure about that
0: at least in the long term. Oh my goodness, even in the short term, there's great studies on um, you know, the effect on stress hormone levels. The prominent stress hormone of cortisol uh, you know, goes down when you spend time in a natural setting uh, doing meditation, yoga, deep breathing. Uh, in Japan, they have research uh, on the topic of forest bathing, where they even have medical patients going out and spending time in nature and seeing a reduction in blood pressure and cortisol levels. And for the hard-driving athlete who's trying to train and recover and obtain the highest fitness level possible, um, you know, to me... Uh you, you talked a little bit while back about your research on adrenal fatigue. And what happened to me in my career is I hit like a breaking point halfway through where I was training absolutely as hard as I possibly could. I was sleeping half of my life. As regular listeners know, I talk about it a lot, but I was sleeping 10 hours a night and taking a two-hour nap every single day, trying to get the absolute most out of my body. And I hit a point where I couldn't train any harder. I couldn't sleep anymore. Uh, and there were still people in front of me on the race course, and i didn 't like that at all. I wanted to be the first guy to the finish line and I had to have sort of a um a transformation in my approach to my career and realize that um you know i I was stressing my my endocrine system, my adrenal glands every single day with this uh, high volume oftentimes high intensity, just hard work of training and After a certain point, your body becomes exhausted from the unrelenting stress. And you start to regress or at least stagnate in your fitness level. And so these gateways of things like taking a break and taking a winter off or uh, realizing that other hobbies and interests in your life can actually contribute to your better development as an athlete because they disengage you from that intense attachment of your self-esteem to the outcome— and these were things I had to grow and mature and learn uh, as I as I got older. But you know, if you're listening now and you're you're trying to get the most out of your body, um, it's important to look at this big picture perspective where it's not just about putting that gas pedal on and trying to squeeze in uh, one more workout in the week. And that insecurity comes in um, the 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 blood chemistry and the hormonal processes and the immune function comes in because. We so often make mistakes and get injured overtrained burnt out, and so that 's a pretty good slap in the face that you 're doing something wrong, but on that more nuanced level, like you 're talking about um, if someone just cut into the podcast at minute thirty eight and some guy's talking about planting trees uh, as a f- critical component of his his journey as a triathlete um, they might they might shake their head but then when they find out you ran a 253 off the bike in kona they might want to listen more carefully but it's a, it's a very important concept to think my my big picture uh my position of of making a difference being in gratitude uh listening carefully to mark allen and and owning those concepts where you too can apply those where um you know you're uh, you're nice to your support crew instead of snapping at them because you're antsy and anxious in the morning and everybody accepts your bad behavior because uh, you're such an important athlete about to toe the starting line for some age group triathlon. And that's the kind of stuff where there's a lot of growth experiences to be had, you know?
1: Exactly. Yeah, you make me laugh. Yeah, exactly. You know, I see people transformation in hours preceding the race or the day preceding the race. Man, they transform. They transform, and I and I'm sure everybody does at a certain level. But uh, they really transform, and uh, it's uh, it's so stressful. So uh, I I I do believe that even if you are doing things scientifically, like I can I can tell you scientifically what I'm doing in terms of my in, uh, micronutrients, like my routine preceding the race but it doesn't mean that i need i need or we need to become like uh completely crazy or or dictated by this this anxiety just because we we want to be in the top 50 of your age group you know there are people that are getting so stressed i mean honestly it's important what you're doing and it's nice to take it seriously but uh it defeats the purpose of sport right that should be like uh, being healthy and And challenge yourself in a in a in a nice way, and when you say people shaking their heads when they when they listen to my odd theories i 'm used to it because I live in my community of course i'm 'm exposed as a person because I mean still people come and ask me things and uh, prior to these races, when they are asking me because I've done a few because i also did, in Chattanooga, I ran the uh, the second fastest age grouper. Uh, the first guy is starting pro, so I, I would say cheating a little bit that was the fastest half marathon off the bike. He was one fourteen on a Healy course uh, just uh, three weeks before Kona and I could see that when i when they were asking me uh, what, what, what do you eat uh, before the race and i was like um, I'm, I'm having a little bit of carbs yeah because the day before I, I try to do well, a little bit of carbo loading, and what you're having? I'm having yams and taro. You know, taro like the the the, the blue, like uh, uh, starchy. Uh, what is that? It's, a, it's like a sort of a, of a of a of, a, of a radish, right? Like it's very Chinese. Yeah, root I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I brought from I brought it from China. I brought it from Hong Kong. Uh, they they don't they don't have much of it in Chattanooga, honestly. <laughs> so and and they, they were like, mm, right, really. And I could see people binging on pasta and stuff like this, and they were totally shaking their heads, and they were like, "This guy is is trying to prove something." But actually, if I would have the, this huge amount of pasta, will just my system will go out of control? Probably, wouldn't even able to sleep. You know that that's the thing, and that's the maximum I can do in terms of in terms of carbs. So if people shake their heads, uh, you gotta if you if what you're doing it works. You just keep doing and, and trust the system. Again, I, I love that the that, that, the mantra of trusting the system because you know it's good for you and you need to keep and you need to keep keep going and um and that's it. So um, let them shake their heads. It's fine. Let them run <laughs> let them let them run alley drive in the heat the day before the Ironman. <laughs> and yeah. you, ste- Run, you, ste- you step, you step, you step. Run an easy five. Yeah, yeah, you step aside, and you have yeah. a nice ball of pocky and uh, and and chill.
0: <laughs> That's right. Oh my goodness, we got off onto this fascinating uh, track of 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 the mindset and and uh, the spirituality, and I think um, we were going to talk about some some technical stuff. And and before we go, we should we should bring it back a little bit because um, it is kind of a uh, an interesting and potentially tricky thing that you're doing. So I want to get into the details of your approach a bit. Um, so you're doing these fasted workouts. Yeah. Um, you're coming off about a 14 to 16 hour fast and doing, uh, as you report, um, quite a bit of uh, weekly mileage. Uh, you know, on the run there uh, and on the bike too. Um, but I think the keys are you're going at that. Uh, aerobic heart rate, or you're saying MAF minus 5 or even MAF minus 10. Yeah. And that seems like it's a more um, predictive of success and less trouble from uh, spinning out and falling out and having these uh, carb uh, crashes and things that come from going a little too fast and trying to do fasted workouts. So just tell me how you dialed in uh, those morning fasted workouts and uh, why you think those are so critical to your success.
1: Yeah, I, I start from the, the finish line. The last three miles in Kona, I ran approximately 325 pace. Again, it's all on Strava. I was very turned on and I didn't check my heart rate monitor. But if you check my heart rate, it was never above 143, I would say. That was That was the average. And I know that if I touch 150, I'll become glycolytic and I may bonk. Okay? So this is the end of the story. Now, let's go to the origin of the story. The origin of the story is I wake up in the morning, I have my coffee, now the tef, for the same exact reason that you said, because I want to know if I'm able to go through the workout, right? So I will have my coffee and I will go for a ride, right? Uh, usually I do... Two or three longish ride, I would say two and a half hours to three hours, just around the place I live. And I listen to podcasts. I do a little bit of heels, go down, relax. So the average heart rate, it would be around 100. Uh, no, not even 100. Yeah. Ranging from 95 to 110, I would say. Then I off the bike, I will try to run two, three K um, to clean my legs, and um, and that's it. And that would be on a fastest day. Um, come back, and uh, I would just drink um, water, right? And I will just. I won't have a. Um, you know, they, they call they call this uh, uh, the window. The the the. You know, you have like a 30 minutes that you can replenish everything and stuff like this. I. I listened to, a, I listened to a, an, an interesting theory that if you wait a little bit longer after, after your, um, your workout, um, you will maximize your uh, growth, hormone, growth hormone response, right? So I let it peak a little bit, so I don't eat right after. I would eat maybe after one and a half hour, and then I would start having, um, I would say, nuts. That's my commodity, I do a lot of nuts. I try to blend in omega-3 nuts like uh, walnuts and uh, Brazil nuts. And I will have uh, um, cashews. Oh, I got some, I got nice, good cashews here. And macadamia, got it from Hawaii. It's good. So that would be my my little snack. And um, then for lunch, I will have maybe a couple of eggs, like hard boiled. So again, very low carb maybe a little bit of veggies like raw vegetables and i that's generally at uh maybe 2 p.m. so i try to you know push towards the end of the day all my meals and then i have a primary meal around um 8 8 o'clock finishing at 9:30 and i will have everything i can in terms of vegetables raw and cooked um, I will have cauliflower, I'll have broccoli, and I will have uh, one kind of protein. It can be tofu, it can be fish. I, I'm I'm not a religious vegan or vegetarian, whatever. Uh, so I, I can have chicken or meat once, maybe every couple of three weeks. I, d- I just don't do it because I, I don't find it accessible and healthy here in Hong Kong. But if I would have something fresh... Uh, and of a reliable source, uh, I would do it. So the idea is, in my opinion, pushing towards the end of the day uh, all your um, all your all your food intake. So uh, to give you an understanding, from basically from nine o'clock to noon, right? I wouldn't touch pretty much any food. Then around noon, I will have a snack. And then around two, I will have a little lunch, but light, light lunch. Um, again, pretty much zero carbs. Uh, or, you know, I mean, if I add some veggies, I will have some carbs in, uh, but it would be pretty low. And then at night, I, I will have uh, my primary meal, veg-based. So I get pretty much all my carbs from vegetables. Um, and, um, and I will have a couple of glasses of wine, <laughs> red wine. Without abusing it, maybe not every day, but uh, definitely in the weekend I will. Without being guilty about this, actually, it kind of it kind of serves as a natural painkiller, and uh, the polyphenols apparently works well for me, so I keep having it.
0: Uh, That's interesting. I just did a show with uh, Ben Greenfield where he related something similar where uh, at the end of the day is when he relaxes and allows himself perhaps an elevated carb intake that helps him recover from uh, the hard work that he did during the day and a very polarized training strategy where he's just doing a lot of low-level movement or aerobic work and then hitting it hard for you know a specific 30-minute workout going for his obstacle course goals or what have you. Um, but the operative point there is that um, you're pushing your limit of your ability uh, for fat adaptation metabolic flexibility by asking your body to perform on a tank that's um, empty and going to stimulate the production of ketones and pull stored body fat as energy rather than squeezing those gels in or going off of an oatmeal and orange juice breakfast. But I think we get into, um, there's so much debate about the proper method and a lot of people are uh, wondering, you know, um, uh, maybe it doesn't work because I'm a triathlete, so I need more carbs. But I think it's in the the details of the approach and especially keeping that heart rate low so that you're not in the... Um, you know glucose demand during these workouts and you can hang until two o'clock before you eat your first uh, appreciable amount of carbs
1: yeah i mean not even appreciable amount of carbs actually i don't do i mean i would have like uh, some vegetables some raw vegetables so it's not a huge amount it's healthy amount of carbs i would say and uh but i just you know when it's very like um Evident what what I'm doing is during our Saturday rides we go out as a group, um maybe 10 15 people. I would see like the gel show after like one and a half hour one hour that we start taking gels. One hour you don't even need carbs, right? So right now they are. I mean, what I see is like people take it preemptively, right? And, uh, and I will finish my three and a half, even four hours, ride right, Basically in, uh, on, on water, sometimes maybe coconut water, because I mean more for the electrolytes than I take salt tablets. All right. Because I want to be what, I mean, I want to be, um, careful to my electrolytes. Right. And then I go home by the time I go home, it's going to be like 35, 40 more minutes. And then I will have a good breakfast. It will be kind of late in the day. And these are the best workouts for me because they really allow me to, uh, cruise to that stage of adaptation. Of course, like first couple of times was a little bit hard, but then after that, you don't even realize that. And I have like in our group, just to tell you, okay, let's talk about statistics now. Okay. How many people believe in, uh, I would call it our method, right? Over 30 people, over 30 people. It's just me and another girl doing
0: that. <laughs> well, like you said, the Ironman Expo, uh, they're selling a lot of sugar at that expo to the yeah. very best athletes in the yeah, world, exactly. uh, which is showing that we have a long way to go. So
1: let's bring statistics back to the race. Now, if I am the 2% of the crazy person that don't do carbs in the, in the bike ride, but I'm also in the 2% of the, of, of the people that don't bonk. So I, I like to believe... That I am unbunkable at this point. And, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm actually very proud of this because I didn't even know the word bonking. I mean, you, you would have recognized from my accent that my English is not that pure, but I love the word bonking. You know, it's like, I bonked. What do you mean I bonked? Yeah, I bonked. I, I couldn't move anymore. I mean, if you bonked, you have done something wrong. Not during the race, but prior to the race, because you didn't adapt you didn't train properly because people think that training is just going out there with a the bike or cycling or swimming and uh, what about your nutrition? I mean, if you have a big, large muffin one hour before the the, the, the workout i mean. Usually I mean you are training only your muscles. You are not training your adaptability. So you are training fifty percent or maybe sixty percent. But what about the rest? If you are if if you if you if you race for more than three hours, I mean if you if you train for less than two and a half, three hours, there is no point. I agree. But if you wanna do an Ironman or if you wanna do a an ultra endurance or an endurance like of, of, of three hour and a half or about you got to look at this kind of side of things because otherwise, I mean, you will do a fantastic swim. You will do a super powerful uh, bike ride. And then after 20K, you'll bonk, and everybody will pass you. So you just wasted your time, man. I mean, what's the point? <laughs> Why you fly all the way just to, to jog or to walk the last 10 miles?
0: Well, that's so funny. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I went to my first Hawaii Ironman 30 years ago and you you, you saw those, uh, those ripped veined out specimens back then. And a lot of guys from uh, the town where I was training Sacramento were just, you know, so exceptionally fit and riding these group bike rides at a high rate of speed, you know, going for five hours at 27 miles an hour and just Um, you know, building up this incredible level of fitness, but they were sugar burners. And so, you know, by and large, almost every single one of them would go out to Hawaii and, uh, you know, from, from all over the country and all over the world, they would, they, you know, you could see their fitness level just visibly on their arms and legs, the roadmap, but they'd end up walking the marathon. And so, you know, at the, at the, at the 10 hour mark, um, you know, a lot of those people are, are getting off the bike, doing a five hour split. And swimming for an hour, and then um, you you do the math, and that 's a four hour run, which is you know for a fit athlete at the highest level of world performance in triathlon um, you know four four twenty four thirty four forty seven off the bike um, is is merely an indication that they 're sugar burners that have run out of sugar after a long day in the islands and completely um, disengage from the optimal training protocol to do such a grueling endurance event, which is you have to get good and force your body to get good at burning fat. And just to take the flip side of your comment where you're only training half of the the goal, you're not training the metabolic, the energy production, but just the legs. Um, On the other hand, if you modify your diet and you trend toward uh, fat adapted and get rid of the grains and sugars out of your diet you can experience a boost in your endurance performance without even any extra training. Just because you're better at burning fat, you're going to go out there and perform better at workouts just for optimizing your diet.
1: Yeah, I fully I fully concur. And exactly as you say, I mean, if people are so fit, you know, they have that kind of level of fitness, they must be able to complete a marathon in a very short time, right? But the point is, and where they, everybody falls in that trap is that, The moment that you lose the balance, because being a a sugar partner is, I mean, you can do it. You can finish your marathon burning sugar. The thing is, it's such a difficult thing to keep the balance, because if you forget or you take your sugar like too early or too late, uh, you get off balance. While with fat adaptation, uh, you don't need to take, I mean, you are are carrying your gels inside yourself. (laughs) <laughs> right? Right. So, it's, so it's like, okay, I'm going to have a gel, an imaginary gel and yeah, I'll sip some water with it. So that that's the thing. Okay. I mean, it's not that I didn't eat anything during the race because if we need to get into specific, I did eat something because, uh, even as a preemptive, uh, like I would say preventive measure of, I don't know. It was the first time, but I had, I had like some like, uh, like healthy bars. I tried like maybe nuts and honey and, and stuff like this. And, uh, and I was fine. I mean, frankly, I don't know one day that I don't want to impress anyone because in corner, I needed to impress because I wanted to show that it was cool because I did it for the first time. So there was a little bit of ego in that, but one day that I don't want to impress anyone, you know what I will do. I'll try to do it pretty much with, uh, with, with even less of amount of food, will probably half the quantities that I will that I will uh, that I will that I took just for the sake of science and to see that we are really carrying inside ourselves a huge amount of calories ready to be used, ready to be used, ready to be accessed. It's just that we need to do in a smart way. We need to prepare for it, and during the race we need to respect and trust the system. So staying at that. At the At the threshold which for me is uh during training it's uh it's um, it's lower than my one hundred and eighty minus eight and these are i i don't know why probably you will have the answer for this as well brad because you you know everything pretty much in this in this in this in this kind of uh, uh tribe but uh, many
0: people agree many people agree uh,
1: yeah no but the thing is i don't know why i i, I I, I cannot go beyond that. So I will go minus 10. So it's 180 minus age minus 10. And I'm fine with that. You know, I'll do one and a half hour, like, touching that, like, in, in between my 100 and uh, 90 or, or, or uh, up to 180s minus age minus 10. And, you know, I'm not smashed after the workout. I can just go to the office and usually my swim workout are at night. So, and usually my swimming, it's, uh, I'm a very bad swimmer. Again, you can see from my split. Uh, but I use it more for relaxation rather than, I, I try to take care of technique more than um, than pushing it hard because I, I try to swim uh, at the end of the day. Again, as a, as a kind of way to find the last stress, to my body before I go and, and have a big meal. And, uh, I do like, I follow very much a total immersion method. I, I like it because it relaxes me. And I, I listen to a very beautiful podcast of his last interview. Um, and that guy is very inspiring. So somehow it soothes me the idea of swimming with somebody that has been so inspiring and has, has created a method that has, um, Primal endurance people, many people still don't accept, but has been proven as effective, but still there is a lot of reluctance to accept the method that it was out of of uh, the standard method. So I somehow it's like as kind of a ritual to swim slow, taking care of techniques, moving the whole body and doing it again at a very, I would say not completely fast state, because I had food before. But still, my calories intake is much lower than any other person at that stage of the day, right? And that propels me to go home to see my kids and have a fantastic dinner all together. So it's the last relaxing way towards home, right?
0: Oh, my goodness. Stefano Pastorello, what a great uh, capping comment you made there with that that final uh, uh, summary. I loved it. And this was... um, Of the many, many shows we've done, 100 plus shows, this was one of my favorites. We got in some really great topics, especially opening our eyes to the potential of fat adapted training. So, thank you so much for for sharing with us and spending the time. uh, Listen to the show over and over, people. This is a guy who's, uh, who's figured it out early on in his triathlon career and just some wonderful insights. So, much appreciation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for triggering the love for science for this, Brad. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, to the Primal Endurance podcast. This is your host Brad Kearns. Until next time. Hi, this is Brad Kearns to tell you about Primal Endurance Online Multimedia Educational Mastery Course. And what we have done for the past year is basically bring the book Primal Endurance to life with a series of videos and other multimedia educational material, audio, e-books. All accessed at this online portal with everything you need to succeed in endurance training. And if you're trying to do this stuff, if you're enjoying these compelling challenges and trying not to get sick, injured, burnt out, fried, this is going to help you approach your endurance goals in a healthy, balanced manner and promote your health rather than compromise it. Get away from carbohydrate dependency and progress toward fat adaptation. It's over 120 videos, many with the experts and also many others with the step-by-step instruction of what's in the book. So if you're too busy to read or you like to have a more comprehensive learning experience, check out Primal Endurance online. You'll have everything you need there at primalendurance.fit.